Please turn with me in your Bibles now to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 29. We will pick up verses 17 through 27 of Proverbs 29. And this is a a summary section that will end the larger section that began in chapter 25, uh, verse 1, and ran, of course, to the end of chapter 29. And so there'll be a shift in feel as we move through chapter 30 and also through chapter 31 as this particular more sayings of Solomon is coming to an end. So please follow along, take up your word and follow along as I read Proverbs 29, beginning in verse 17. Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. A servant cannot be corrected by mere words, though he understands he will not respond. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. If a man pampers his servants from youth, he will bring grief in the end. An angry man stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. The accomplice of a thief is his own enemy. He is put under oath and dare not testify. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever keep whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Many seek an audience with a ruler, but it's from the Lord that man gets justice. The righteous detest the dishonest, the wicked detest the upright. Let us pray. Pray. O giver of life, you have revealed to us these wonderful words. Of life, and you have directed the prophets and the apostles to write them down, and you have preserved these words throughout the centuries. These words are life to us, to your people. Show us the life in these words today. Show us that you are just and trustworthy. Show us that our hope rests in you and in you alone. Guide us to repentance and wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Cultures change and countries shift. This oftentimes is a foregone conclusion. As time marches on, changes happen. Cultures are established, they mature, they age, and then they die. Technology oftentimes has shortened the length of time that it takes for cultures and for cultural morals to shift. And in our own country, our own culture, we have seen a shift from an agricultural to an industrial to an information-based economy. We have seen a shift, a change, a move from a culture marked by external moral constraint to a culture where anything goes. The passage we are considering today, Solomon focuses on two things that will actually put a culture or a kingdom on a bedrock foundation to where it can survive the shifts and the changes in morals, in economics, in law. And as we look at today's principle, we will see how Solomon talks to Rehoboam once again about the family and the rock-solid foundation that we must guard in the family and also the rock-solid foundation of trust in God rather than in man. As we look at the solid foundation of the family and family discipline, 
you may have noticed that this is a theme that comes up over and over again throughout the book of Proverbs. And it comes up over and over again because it is such a foundational principle that it's very important. And it comes up over and over again because Solomon understands that repetition is the key to learning. For some strange reason, about a year ago, I downloaded the Duolingo app, which is a a language learning app, and I decided to learn the useful language of Welsh. Just kind of a crazy thing. Still don't know how a whole lot about it, but one of the things that I actually find frustrating about it is as you complete lessons, you, you turn these little circles into gold discs and gold coins. Well, every now and then, that gold disc or coin will get a little crack in it. And what Duolingo, Duo, the, the little owl, that wants you to do is to go back to that lesson and repeat it. And it is exceedingly frustrating because it seems like I pick it up just often enough to have to redo those lessons over and over again without actually progressing. Now, yes, I mean, I understand that means I should probably do it more if I want to progress, but still it's frustrating. And God has given me an insight into this through my wife that repetition brings knowledge. Repetition brings understanding. And so Solomon once again, is coming to us with this declaration that if you want a solid foundation of wisdom, it comes through the family. And for Rehoboam, it comes through the entirety of the household. We automatically make the jump in our minds today when we see the word servant. We we either jump to, to, to slavery or to the idea of employees. But servants were more than just slaves and they were more than just employees. If you were wealthy enough to have a servant, they became members of your household. Oftentimes they would live with you. Their families would live with you. And as you taught your children wisdom, their children would sit there and learn wisdom as well. And so what Solomon is reminding Rehoboam in these first few verses, in verses 17 through 21 of today's passage, what he is reminding Rehoboam is that the, the family discipline of teaching wisdom will bring a foundation of stability to the entire kingdom, to wealthy and poor alike, to highborn and lowborn alike. As long as wisdom is taught in the household, a kingdom will be stable and secure. This is not a new thing for the people of Israel. If we look back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, or chapter 6, excuse me, beginning in verse 4, we hear these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on the foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, teach these in your home, teach these laws, teach these statutes in your home to such an extent that your work 
Bound, bind them to your hands that your work is shaped by the wisdom, by the law of God. Bind them on your forehead so that your thinking, so that your view of the world is shaped by the law and the wisdom of God. Make them such a part of your house that, it, that they are carved into the doorpost of your home so that when you walk out to go to the fields, you see the wisdom of God. When you walk back in from the fields, you see the wisdom of God. Every aspect of your home life should be marked by God's law and God's wisdom. And Solomon doesn't just tell Rehoboam to do this. He gives them a reason. Verse 18, he says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, if you have the King James, it most likely said where there is no vision, the people perish. But as our understanding of the Hebrew language has grown, as our as our uh, amounts of um, manuscripts have grown, we have seen that most likely the original is where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That word for revelation there is the same word used later on for the office of the prophet. It's how God communicated to the prophets what he wanted them to tell the Israelites. And what did the prophets most often tell the Israelites? Repent, for you have broken God's law. Let me remind you of God's law so that you can repent and have the covenant blessings rather than the covenant curses. And what would you expect in a culture where there is no revelation? we would expect from the rest of Proverbs to see judgment and destruction upon the people. But it's interesting what Solomon says here. It says, where there is no revelation, where there is no law of God, the people cast off restraint. Anything goes. There are no more inhibitions against sin. There are no more boundaries between what is right according to God And what is sinful? Paul mentions this in Romans chapter one, where he says, when people deny God long enough, God just says, fine, go for it. Do whatever you want to do. But there will come a reckoning. Solomon reminds Rehoboam and reminds us that our households must be marked by the teaching of of wisdom. When the when the enemy is successful in destroying that foundation of one generation teaching the other, anything goes. And we must guard the family, we must guard the church against that lack of restraint by keeping God's revelation, by keeping God's law central. Mulch much mulch Much of our cultural ills today are here because parents have given up their roles as teachers of wisdom and handed them over to other people. What are we doing to counteract the restraintlessness that is taught in our culture? Now, God in his mercy can take even the merest of wisdom lessons and he he can and he can bring and bear great fruit. 
And many times he has taken people who have never had the benefit of being taught the wisdom of God in the home. He has brought them to faith and to a place of understanding that his law is right and is good. But the primary way in which God teaches wisdom is through generational teaching. A strong culture is built upon the rock-solid foundation of family discipline. And secondly, a solid culture is built upon the rock-solid foundation of trust in God. Now, you can have the best of family upbringings and you can still fall far short of God's desires for you. And this falling short is marked by either fear or trust. In verse 25 of today's passage, Solomon says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Many seek an audience with a ruler, but it is from the Lord that man gets justice. We're used to seeing fear associated with the Lord in the book of Proverbs, and it's important for us to understand that the word fear here linked to fear of man is different than that word fear linked to fear of the Lord. Rather than a worshipful obedience, which we have been, which we have seen repeatedly throughout the book of Proverbs, which is the fear of the Lord, this is a terror. This is a horror. Why would we be terrorized? Why would we be horrified in the presence of other men? Notice what the contrast is there to the fear of man. It is trust in God. When we neglect to trust in God for our foundation, for our our hope, our assurance, where do we put that trust? Typically in people. And what will people always do? Let you down. And you put your trust in people long enough and they let you down long enough, you end up living in terror that they will do that very thing because you know that is exactly what will happen. We may look to other people for our meaning. We may look to other people for acceptance. We may look to other people for security or identity, but they will let us down in each and every one of those circumstances. And we will fear that. We will live life afraid of other people because we're just waiting for them to let us down. Solomon contrasts that with trust in God. Trust is that sense of confidence and assurance in knowing that the person whom you have placed faith in will never let you down. His steadfast love endures forever. And so you can live life either in terror of humanity or in a sense of peace and confidence in God based upon where you put your trust. And we do know that this terror, this fear of man is a snare, is a trap. And it manifests itself in three different ways. First is in the destructive behavior of a situation we cannot get out of or the pickle. Verse 24 is an application of Leviticus 5. Leviticus 5 says, If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. The accomplice of a thief is in a pickle because if he keeps his mouth shut, he's in trouble. And if he testifies, he's in trouble. There was no plea bargain 
in the ancient Near East. In Israel, if you testified to a crime that you were involved in, you brought the punishment for that crime upon yourself. But if you didn't testify for a crime that you knew about because you were involved in, guess what? You brought the punishment of that crime upon yourself. When we pursue acceptance through men, we will compromise God's law. And if we do that long enough, we will find ourselves stuck in a place where we are in trouble if we try to get out of it. And we're in trouble if we try to stay in it. Now, God in his grace offers mercy for repentance, but there are still earthly consequences for our sins. The second destruction that comes comes through pride. We have seen repeatedly throughout Proverbs that pride leads to a fall. And we see it again here in today's passage. Verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Notice this, the proud man grasps after honor. But that prideful pursuit drags him low. But the man of lowly spirit, the meek person, gains honor. Jesus said something like that in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. What? For they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Pride brings self-destruction while humility brings honor. And the last tool of destruction that fear of man brings to us is the destruction that comes through hateful anger. You put your hope and and your trust in humans long enough and you've been failed by those humans over and over again. You'll get jaded. You'll get cynical. You'll get angry. And you'll lash out in that anger as that anger grows, as it festers, as you fail more and more. And it will ultimately manifest itself in hatred for that person that you put all your hope in. And you will reach out in destruction. And the temptation for us as the righteous is to fall to that as well. I mean, the last verse of our passage says the the righteous detests the dishonest and the wicked detests the upright. God hates the wicked, so I should hate them too, right? Not so fast. God does detest the wicked. We've seen that several times throughout the book of Proverbs. But what does God give to the wicked? He meets them with mercy and with grace. Yes, they will feel the, feel the full weight of his abomination, abomination and his hatred against wickedness at the end day when they meet him face to face. But in the meantime, God meets them with grace. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ condemned us and sent us to hell, right? No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is the reality. We may detest the wickedness, but we cannot let ourselves fall prey to the hateful anger that comes from hating sin. We must offer grace as God offers grace because that's what God did for us. That's what another human being did for us. When we pursue the fear of man rather than trusting in God, we bring destruction upon ourselves. Idolatry brings self-destruction. One of my favorite Bible stories is the story of Elijah. He was so human. 
He had this phenomenal victory on Mount Carmel. And then what did he do? He ran away in a depressive state for 40 days. But on Mount Carmel, he had this tremendous victory. He gathered the priest of Baal. The the people of Israelite were worshiping this false god, this idol. And he gathered their priests together and he said, you set up your altar, put your sacrifice on it and pray to Baal to get the, the fire to come down from heaven and consume the altar. So they did that. And he didn't answer. So they yelled a little bit louder and he didn't answer. They cut themselves and he didn't answer. And that's a picture, I think, of what we do when we put our trust in man rather than in God. We harm ourselves by bringing this anger, by bringing pride, by bringing the the trap, the snare of being Wrapped up in our own sinful idolatry, we bring those things upon ourselves. We make choices that break with God's law and we stick ourselves in the snare, the trap of sin. But thanks be to God in the midst of that, he did send his son so that we can have salvation, so that our hearts could be changed, so that we could have trust and reliance upon God. And have that hopeful confidence that only he can give. A solid culture, a solid kingdom is built upon the rock solid foundation of trust in God. So we've seen the rock solid foundation of family discipline. We've seen the rock solid foundation of trust in God. Where do we go from here? First, search your heart. Find those places where you may be in terror, in fear of how other human beings may fail you. Ask yourself, who are you afraid of losing and how much of God's revealed will are you willing to ignore in order to keep them? The terror of losing that person, the terror of losing that acceptance, the terror of losing that importance or whatever it is you think you're going to get from that other person will destroy you. Secondly, begin today to teach wisdom in your home. I confess I fail at this more often than I succeed. And yet God says, start today. Even if you have no children in your home, wisdom can still be taught. Husbands, your wives need you to be spiritual leaders, wisdom teachers in your home. Not because they can't learn wisdom on their own, but because that's what God has called you to do. Single people, be part of a family that pursues wisdom. And if you're dating, pursue people who will teach you wisdom, God's wisdom and God's law. Fathers and grandfathers, your children and grandchildren need you to be teachers of wisdom in the home. Because God has designed this world in such a way that wisdom is passed from generation to generation. And remember, you are going to fail. But your family's trust should not be in you. When you do fail, repent and point them to the Father who will not fail and who is trustworthy. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you.
that you give us the opportunity to trust in you. That through Christ's work, through his mediation, through his sacrifice, we are brought to the heart change to where we can place our hope and confidence in you. Forgive us for those times where we have put our hope and confidence in men or women and have been terrified by their failures because they don't measure up to you. Fill us with the confidence of your steadfast love that endures forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, be comforted by this blessing that God gives to you. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And we pray with the saints, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.